Okay, let me begin by sharing some incredible news with you. In May, I invited our church to participate in a fundraising campaign, campaign called The Big Give. The idea was pretty simple. Uh, in addition to your regular giving, we asked everyone to consider giving a one-time financial gift to one of the following ministries, just for the month of May. Help cover tuition costs for Angela and Tomasa, who are the Guatemalan students that are studying now at Selkirk. They were at the 9.30 service. To support the ministry of the Harbor at Ryandell, to support the ministry and mission of Christian, uh, the Nelson Christian School, the Opio family, who are Kenyan missionaries, and Colleen Nanachuk, a missionary to Argentina. Whether it meant forsaking a meal out, dipping into some of the savings that maybe had accrued over the pandemic, or fasting from maybe a series of small purchases for the whole month and redirecting those funds, the big give was an opportunity for our church to bless and encourage these ministries, especially during a time of heightened financial stress. Now, I'd never done anything like this before, to be honest, in any uh, context, Um, certainly not during a pandemic. So I wasn't really sure what the response would be like or even what a win would look like. I didn't hear from a lot of people. My emails weren't inundated with people saying, what a great idea, I'm gonna do this and blah, blah, blah. It was just kind of like radio silence for a long time. And as May 31st crept up on the calendar, I just remember thinking, I don't know, regardless of what the number is, I'm not even sure what success is gonna mean in a, uh, for a, a fundraising thing like this, because I've never done it before. But the good news is now I know what it means. As the final donations came in and were counted, collectively, our church raised over $23,000 in the month of May that will go towards all of these ministries. Now, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it's honestly at or, an order of magnitude of like 10 times over the ballpark that I was envisioning. But the other interesting thing is that our general giving for May was the highest it's ever been for the last four years. So thank you for your continued giving, for your faithfulness, and thank you for making these investments into these ministries. It was absolutely incredible. I honestly thought when I got the email from Rob and Amy and the financial people, I thought there was a typo. Um, It's just been awesome. So let's just praise God. That is amazing. Oh, such an encouragement. Uh, Please join me in prayer to give praise to God and give thanks to God. God, we do give you praise and we give you thanks for, you know, I will confess God exceeding my expectations uh, of just doing way more than I dared to even ask or imagine. I thank you for everyone who gave, especially those who fasted from maybe a, a small or a large luxury and leaned into sacrificial giving, God, for for everyone who contributed. Would you bless them in a way that is meaningful to them with joy and fill, fill them with your joy and fill them with a reward that only comes from investing in eternity and in the things of God in your name. Multiply the impact of these funds, God. May they be used to strengthen and encourage these ministries and the people involved. 
May they encourage each recipient to advance in mission, to advance in faithfulness, and um, despite a year where there's been a lot of setbacks and stalls and discouragement, may this just put a massive wind in the sails of their hearts and just renew their spirit, God. Thank you so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start with a collection of instructions found in the New Testament. Therefore, brothers and sisters, when you come together, welcome one another. Whenever you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, and everything is to be done for building up. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Let us consider how to spur one another on in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I hope you notice something about these verses. It's kind of a truth that maybe for many of us is hidden in plain sight and just kind of baked in to the entire New Testament, which is the presumption that Christians will be gathering together. They're going to be gathering together to worship God. They're going to be gathering together to learn with each other. They're going to be gathering together to learn from each other. They're going to be gathering together to discuss and learn what does it mean for me to follow Jesus faithfully with this particular opportunity or this particular challenge I'm facing at work, at school, in my friendship circle. They're going to be gathering together to support and care for one another. Sometimes they would gather in small clusters of a few people. Sometimes we see them gathering in larger house churches in the New Testament. But the entire witness of the Gospels and then the letters written to the early Christian communities show us that Christians were eager to gather together, to come together and to learn to follow Jesus, not just as individuals committed to Jesus, but as a new people, a new family. And after a long season where regularly gathering has been suspended, it's really good to have the most restrictive phase of the pandemic behind us. And it's really good to have our ability to come together restored, even if for now it's still limited. And my prayer leading up to today isn't just that we regather, but as we come together, we would regather well. And I've been thinking about what that means. What does that look like? And what's my responsibility pastorally in leading us towards not just getting the church up and running again, but actually leading us into um, a fresh vision for what God has for us, given where we've come from. And there's been kind of four broad themes that I've landed on that I think you're going to hear repeated at least over the next year because I think these are really critical for all of us coming out of a pandemic and regathering together. The first theme is moving deeper into authentic community and connection. 1 Peter 1.22 says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And I love that because Peter doesn't say, when you guys come together, there's lots of issues going on. Could you learn to love each other? He says, you've already learned to love each other, but I want you to go to a different level. I want you to go to a new level. I want you to love each other more deeply. Don't settle for like, this, this is good enough. 
look for ways to deepen that connection, to deepen that community. Genuine, loving, supportive relationships built on trust and care are important to God. One quote that I've been mulling over, I was exposed to it actually in the pandemic from another pastor friend out east, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And that quote is this, the kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationship. The kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationship. And that's why genuine, loving, supporting, high trust, high care relationships are important to God. Because 95% of the time, it's through those kinds of relationships that God's will is done in and through our lives. And so as we gather in a phased-in approach, it's going to feel slower than some of us would like. It might be awkward. It's right, certainly less than ideal to sort of split our church community up into two services right now. But there's actually a really powerful opportunity that I want us to leverage in these next few weeks and months. We all now, everybody stepping into this church, now can testify to the fact that we have a shared experience, right? broadly speaking, the pandemic. And the challenges that it has presented, and I, I know those challenges are unique to each of us, to each of our families and marriages, but they're ubiquitous. We, we all have had challenges. And it's gonna be important for all of us to realize that as we regather, as we reconnect with people that maybe we haven't seen for seven months, or maybe over a year, their lives haven't just paused for a year and we're in a state of stasis and now they're re-engaging life. Many people, including myself, have undergone profoundly deep and formative experiences and it's changed us. And so I hope we move into relationships being slow to speak and quick to listen and we move into reconnecting with each other with a kind of a, a humble curiosity that doesn't presume that, yeah, I kind of know where this person's coming from, but is maybe a little bit more eager to say, how has this time been for you? What have you been learning? What has been hard? What has been beautiful? How have you seen God at work? The question that I want to return to again and again and put before us is, during this next year, after a time of prolonged separation, how do we come back together well and how do we deepen and mature our friendships and our fellowship and our connections with one another? To not just love each other, but to love each other deeply from the heart. The second theme that I want to be emphasizing is learning the skills necessary for soul keeping. Jesus asks this really incisive question, two would-be disciples, two people who want to follow him. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? And this is a question that is posed by Jesus to us if we are Christians, if we are followers of Jesus. It's designed to snap us awake to the reality that, to quote Francis Chan, the great tragedy of life and our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding wildly in life at things that don't actually matter. And the way we avoid wildly succeeding at things that don't matter is by keeping our souls, 
keeping a slow and steady rhythm of connecting to Jesus, allowing his word and his spirit to continually redirect us, encourage us, tilt us in a better direction, and stay in him. But often that means needing to place boundaries around lots of opportunities to be involved in lots of cool, interesting, awesome things. Soul keeping helps us to avoid a superficial spirituality where we kind of know the right answers and we know how we're supposed to act and we know how we're supposed to present to other people. So we sort of do that and we're not necessarily hypocritical. We're not trying to put on a false front, but we don't really feel like there's a lived relationship with God coming forth from the inside. So we just sort of look around and then mimic what other people are doing and hope that our heart catches up. That's no way to live. That's not how we're designed to live in Christ. Soul keeping helps us avoid living from a frenzied, anxious, distracted space. Living with a profound disconnect from God and from ourselves. And again, it's not a salvation issue. It's just we move through our days just feeling like we're being carried along by life. We're not actually walking with Christ through life. Soul keeping is what will help you avoid your calendar becoming more and more bloated with doing things for God without being with God and knowing how to have unhurried moments of prayer and reflection where God can access our hearts in a way that uh, is just different than when we're always on the run, always on the move. Eugene Peterson was asked once to distill what's necessary to maintain a, a truly beautiful, powerful, transformative walk with Christ. Like one key, what, what's, what's, what's the life hack? What's the discipleship life hack? And he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because that, that to me is a foundation, in the modern age, that, that's the key. And that's an important word for us to be thinking through and to allow to rumble around in our head and in our hearts. Because as not only our church begins to open and new church ministries and opportunities begin to open, social, sporting, all kinds of new opportunities begin to open. And it will become very easy, especially after a time where we've kind of been on this forced fast from some of these things to just say, oh, I'm going to gorge myself. The calendar, I'm going to fill my cup to overflow. And not with bad stuff, like awesome stuff. Tons of people over, you know, from morning, noon, night, me doing stuff, getting involved, re-engaging, and all the stuff that I miss. But there's a danger there. There's a danger that we will gorge ourselves and then put ourselves in a position where we may fill our life with activity, but still sort of lose our souls. Do you know what I mean? So we're going to have to think carefully, and I'm going to be pushing myself and us to say, yes, we have to move into our responsibilities, and God has things for us to do, but how do we guard unhurried spaces for soul-keeping? How do we enthusiastically engage what God has called us to do as a church, individually in our marriages, in our families, our job responsibilities, but create boundaries so that 
we don't become frenzied and hurried and distracted and going right back into a state of kind of numb disconnection much of the time from God and from each other and even from a sense of us moving intentionally into mission. You just kind of feel like you're doing life and it repeats and all of a sudden months and years have gone on. The third theme that I'm going to emphasize is deepening our ability to feast on God's word. Part of the prayer that Jesus gave to disciples is to say, when you pray, you should pray and ask God to give you today your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's actually an echo back to Exodus 16 where Israel is in the wilderness and they're like, we'd rather go back to Egypt because it was awesome. We had awesome food. It was amazing spread, spices, herbs. It was amazing. All you can eat steak. And God says, no, actually it wasn't what it was like. Anyways, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you manna every day, daily, little bit. You're going to have enough for today. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, your prayer life has to be like that. You have to feed on God's truth every day. God nourishes people in the wilderness and he still nourishes his people in the wildernesses as we move through life in our own little wilderness before we reach the promised land. And so when Jesus says, you should pray, give us this day our daily bread, obviously implied is we should be doing that daily. But what is the bread? Well, all throughout scripture, God's word refers to itself as bread, as honey, as nourishment, that which nourishes the bone and, and the spirit and sustains us on our journey. We can be involved in all kinds of spiritual disciplines, but if we are malnourished in terms of even a small, uh, consistent drip of God's word in our life, we're going to be spiritually malnourished. But Jesus also calls himself the bread of life. It's not just about doing a scripture every day, doing a few verses, getting it done. It's about learning how to nourish ourselves on the power and presence of Jesus by his word, through his spirit. Sometimes that's an extended time. Sometimes it's a small amount of time. Sometimes it's one verse and just pondering it. Sometimes it's a whole chapter. The methodology is less important than the hard intention to say, I need daily bread from God today. And I'm going to enter into that practice in an unhurried way not just to make it one of 20 things that I'm like just crushing and getting through so that I can accomplish a lot. How do we deepen and mature our practice of feasting on God's word? And I think that word is important to me, feasting. Again, not just to like do it as like, I know this is a good thing, it's an important thing, but like how do we actually learn and take little steps to say, we're not like the Israelites. We're not just being offered manna. Same thing every day, kind of tasteless, bland. Gives you enough to kind of get through, but there's nothing special about it. We actually get to feast on Christ. And so how do we enter into that practice? I think that's going to be important for us to learn or learn again for the first time this year. And the last theme that I'm going to emphasize is the need for us to foster a faith that works. James uh, writes to an early group of Christians and he asks a rhetorical question. He says, I want to ask you a question. What good is it um, if someone claimed to have faith but doesn't have works, meaning their life doesn't test, they, there's nothing coming from their life other than the pronouncement that they believe something. Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is uh, without clothes or they lack daily food, 
And one of you says to them, oh, go in peace. Stay warm, be well fed. But you don't actually give them what the body needs. What good is that? And James goes on to say, and echo what Paul says by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13, that if you do all these things but you don't have love, if your faith doesn't tangibly, manifestly connect to I love and care for the other high school students in my class, the other people on my team, the other people in my um, workspaces, in my church, in my marriage, in my family, like, it, it's, it's worthless. It's not actually a living faith. You believe stuff, maybe even sincerely, but God's Spirit is not compelling us to simply believe ideas. It's to say, how do I creatively, through who God has made me, bring the love of God to bear in a tangible way in people's lives? How do I do that as an individual? How do we do that as families? How do we do that as a church? Our faith isn't mature and our faith isn't sincere until it expresses itself through concrete acts of love and care and service and mercy. We've got to put our faith to work for the good of those around us. And so as we come together and resume our rhythms of church life, yes, I want you to guard um, boundaries to make sure that you're not just filling up your schedule with lots of interesting things. But I'm also asking you to get involved, to make sure that although you're not doing everything, you are going to be prioritizing certain key things in your life. I want you to be looking for, and maybe it's just one, maybe it's from your perspective, small, but to look for an opportunity to serve other people within this church. We need each of you to be engaged and involved. I want you to look for an opportunity, whether it comes through this church or just known to you in a different way, to serve and bless this community. This community needs our church involved and engaged. And look for opportunities like the Big Give campaign to serve and bless ministries that are impacting lives that you won't even, you'll, you'll know nothing about really this side of, of heaven. You, you won't know the impact that it's had. But you're supporting it because you want to bring God's gracious love, redeeming love to bear. Not just in your own life, you don't want to see his will done in your own life, not just in our church's life or this community's life, but province, nation, the world. So one question that I'm going to be coming back to is where is God compelling us to put our faith to work on behalf of each other, on behalf of our community, on behalf of the world? So as we come together in light of the year that we've endured, I am very res- uh, reticent to predict what's coming down the pipe over the next year. I've learned not to make any predictions. But I think these themes and these questions can serve as an anchor. They can help us keep the main things the main things. They can help us to realize the importance of learning to build our lives on and around Jesus. And it will propel us into, a, into an amazing future that goes way beyond just, hey, let's get the church back up and running. 
Let's go back to normal. As we come together, there's an opportunity to build fresh kingdom momentum. As we deepen fellowship and friendships, as we learn to practice soul keeping, as we learn to feast on God's word, as we learn to foster a faith that works. And so let's come together, let's learn to regather well, and let's watch as God uses, yes, our meager, but also our mighty church to be a source of real life and hope to people. Let's pray. God, as we come together, would you help us by your word through your spirit, please, God, help us to regather well. Give us the power that we need, the wisdom that we need, the grace that we need, the love that we need, the vision that we need. And God, help us to keep Jesus at the center. May this be a time of renewal for all of us, of new discoveries, of new appreciation, of new gratitude. God, may your will be done. May your kingdom come in our lives, in this church's lives, to the honor and glory of your name. And all of God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite Rick up to lead us in a time of communion.